Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. I am Chris Marone. This podcast is brought to you by Comedian of Law. Now, Comedian of Law is a provider of continuing legal education. We call them CLEs. Yeah, taking continuing education classes should not require you to bring your favorite pillow to your class. Now, our motto is CLEs that educate and entertain. And we have found that the more one stays awake, the more knowledge one retains. Kind of interesting how you have that ratio there. So if you are in need of continuing legal education credits, check out our website, comedianoflaw.com. Also, listeners, we need your help. If you like to listen to this podcast, we need you to give us a five-star review. Trust me, it helps us get new listeners sponsors, potential listeners, they care about the five stars. Now, if you don't like to listen to us, well, then why are you still here? You're bored. If that's the case, forget about what I just said and just move along. But if you like us, please consider going to your podcasting platform and leaving us a five-star review. And Chris, I am excited about this week's podcast because I think today, more than any other day, you are going to bring it. Now, I know you bring it every week, oh. but there's something about you in our conversations <laughs> that makes me think you're a little bit wiser than you have been in the past. Has something changed? Uh, yeah, it, it could be the fact that I've passed a certain threshold of age where now all of the enlightenment just funnels right to my body and all of that old 20-year-old and 30-year-old angst is just gone and I am a Zen master of the law and sports. Wow, you are an old person now. You are now been here for four decades. Uh, and so you're going to bring the wisdom here. All your insight from four decades on this planet. Did your <laughs> wife realize she's married to such an old fogey? She, you know what? It, it hurts her because my wife is eight years older than me. Okay. And so, and so when we first met, I was in my mid, well, I was in my late 20s, and she was in her mid to late 30s. And so she always loves it when I hit that next decade because then we're the same age group as per before. She's like, you're 29 and I'm 37. This is weird. Now it's like <laughs> we're in our 40s together. Like let's just say we're in our 40s. It rounds her down. It rounds me up. Everybody's happy in their own household at that point. Hey, that's good. That's good. So, yeah, I do expect you to be uh, to bring hey. extra wisdom to our discussion today. I know Last you are week, good for it. Last week, I brought the extra wisdom. I know we're going to get into courtroom quarterbacks later, but I was 7-0 and for playoffs. Called you could every not game. wait. You could not wait to get that stat in. Could you just mm-hmm. die to throw in the 7-0? and You nailed. Now, for you astute listeners, you're going, how How could he be 7-0 and when there were only six games? Well, one game, he said, this is my double-down promise. Uh, this is my guarantee, my lock pick, and you nailed that yep. one as well. By the way, that was the pick that I was too scared to even uh, venture on. It was the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was scared of that game. You saw it clearly. You said it's going to be a blowout. 
and indeed it was a blowout. And so, yeah, we are going to get to that, but thank you for making sure you get it right in at the beginning. <laughs> Nailing in it. Case, in case our listeners don't make it to the end, yes, you were 7-0 and oh last week, and we're going to get to our actual total tally. So we have been doing this season-long betting uh, competition between you right. and I. We started with $500 each, and we're betting basically $10 per game. You know, yep. uh, anywhere between four and seven or eight picks per week, however many we want to bet on. And yeah. I got to tell you, Chris, it, it's a close one. Do you have any idea what the season totals are to this date? To, I think as of now, you, I think you and I are probably like maybe 30 or $40 apart, maybe 50. We are close. We yeah. are close. I'll, I'll let you know once we get to that part of the podcast, Ooh, but we are building. very, very close. I had a huge lead. But yeah, you, you get a couple seven o weeks, and you can make up ground in a hurry. Right. Uh, and so, um, yeah. So apparently, you're right. You are. You've been preparing for this fourth decade. You are ready to go, <laughs> Vegas baby. Oh. Let's come. Let's do well, this. Al- also, I will note that you and I have a u- rather unique perspective <laughs> on technology and health, because both you and I came yep. down with COVID. Within days of each other, and we oh, are yes. probably 1,100 miles apart. I have no idea yeah. how far it is from here to Scottsdale, Arizona. But nonetheless, at, and at that at that moment in time, I probably was somewhere in the high seas, either in the Caribbean. Right. And somehow we did this podcast, and COVID is that uh, transmissible that it jumped <laughs> all the way from, from Scottsdale, Arizona to the Caribbean Sea. It must have been when I got it. And so we both have successfully beat back COVID. For me, the second time. Was this yep. your first? This was my first round, yep. All right. What, 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 what were your thoughts? You know, it was... Um, I was fine. I had normal cold symptoms, uh, some achy, uh, a little bit of vertigo if I got up too fast. But that lasted a day, maybe you know, thirty-six hours at most. I was not. I wasn't down at all. Um, our main concern with this is because my wife got it as well. My wife is asthmatic, so we okay. worried about the asthmatic portion of it. Um, luckily, we have a nebulizer, and she had breathing treatments. So I think at her worst, she did five breathing treatments in a day, and now she's off it completely. We were down for a grand total of um, maybe maybe thirty six to me thirty six to forty eight hours, and I was back to probably eighty five percent. My wife is down for about four days just because okay. of her her asthma portion of it. And I have done some research on this, the Omicron variant and the Delta variant. I, I've been watching the stats very closely. It's interesting to see the the approach to the Omicron variant. Right. Uh, for Australia, for example, Australia used to be on extreme lockdown for their their, yep. their entire country. Now, it's an island. You think uh, if any place can do it, Australia could do it. And that was for the first two variants. For this third variant, they are going about business as normal. Now, they still will not let uh, you know foreign tennis players come into their country <laughs> to play tennis. I but wonder that when is, we were going to get to this. <laughs> but that aside, they basically are taking the approach of, okay, this is so transmissible. Maybe, just maybe, we know this is a horrible virus out there that's killed millions of people. So it is a global pandemic. There is no easy right answer. Right, but maybe a wise approach is to let people get this now. Not the ones that are high risk, but those that are normal, non-high risk people. Maybe they should get this virus since this one is so 
non-lethal as compared to the first two, and it'll help right. your body build up immunity towards the COVID type of viruses. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I maybe. I mean, again, not a medical doctor. Um, <laughs> like that was needed to be said after you, after these whole weeks of us. But you're a lawyer, so right? preference it. No, not medical. But I'm not going to be like Floyd Mayweather and give you, you know, advice now on how to buy NFTs. But not. I, I think that with with the vaccine and the boost, uh, which the whole job of both of those is to make sure that you have limited symptoms for when you get COVID. We have uh, good friends of ours, my wife and I from Monterey, California, who work at the community hospital of the Monterey Peninsula. They're immunologists. They, they have said multiple times to us, it's not if you get COVID, it's when. And so right. they're of the mind that at some point it's going to essentially – Peter down to just being the flu and not being something as horrible as we saw in the first two waves of original COVID, OG COVID, and Delta COVID. And so right. I think Australia has taken a good stance in this, looking at the numbers and looking at the science behind it and saying, hey, this, this level and personal experience, which is one individual out of 7 billion on the face of the planet, you know, it wasn't bad. It was just a bad cold. My biggest concern of it one is, how dare somebody give me COVID for my 40th birthday and ruin my plans? That was <laughs> exactly. the selfish answer, like, I'm going to find this person and throat punch them, which is justifiable under the law, just so you know. Just saying. Okay. Um, Arizona law, that's what it is. Arizona law. I get throat punched them for giving me COVID. But secondly is that we don't want to overload the hospitals. So if this is something where it's getting more diluted and the symptoms are not as bad, then let's let's start – making policy around that rather than around OG COVID of, you know, 14 days, all this, you know, the, all the, the archaic rules that may come along now. I'm, I'm still a believer in masks. I still think you should wear a mask and stay six feet away permanently. I don't want people coming close to me. I don't want to <laughs> shake your hand. I don't want to talk to you. Get out my bubble. Have some gum. You halitosis have in person. Like, but I think that it's just it's just smarter policy now to evaluate as it comes out rather than keeping the same type of shutdowns that we have seen that have, have kind of stunted the rest of the world. And, and this is a totally different variant than the first two. The first two were extremely deadly. This third one, all the indications that I can read from these medical studies show that this is not near as dangerous or lethal as the first two. Uh, and, and so maybe this is one that if enough of the population does get, they will build up immunity towards these type of, of viruses. I don't know. Again, I am just a lawyer like you. Right. So we think we know stuff, but let's just get back to Facebook jokes and memes, I guess. <laughs> well, exactly. Let's now look at the world of law. That's why we come together every week to talk football and to talk the world of law. And there are some interesting cases this week out there. Let's oh, yes. start with Britney Spears. Oh, Britney Spears is one of Britney. your favorite singers. Uh, and, and so Britney Spears. Actresses. Oh, yeah. like exactly. Uh, social justice I, warrior. Everything. I cannot tell you a single song that she sings because oh she does not sing country. I'm a big country fan, but nonetheless, go ahead. I'm so just singing Britney songs in my head right now. Here we, we've been following the Britney Spears saga with the mm -hmm. conservatorship, the the guardianship, oh, things law. like that. It's great law. Yeah, it's, it's great law to follow. Fascinating, fascinating area of law to learn about. 
Well, here's what happened. Jamie Lynn Spears, her sister, recently published a book. And so uh, Britney Spears' lawyer sent a cease and desist letter out last week to Jamie Lynn Spears. And in this letter, the lawyer wrote, she takes you at your word, and we therefore demand that you cease and desist from mm-hmm. referencing Britney derogatorily during your promotional campaign. If you fail to do so or defame her, Britney will be forced to consider and take all appropriate legal action. Chris, what is what this? Is this? I, what, I don't know. What does this mean? A cease and desist letter to stop talking bad about your sibling? Is there even a law that prohibits that? No, we, we, uh, Joel, I, I have siblings, you have siblings, you have children that are siblings. Talking derogatory about our siblings is an art form. It is right. part of who we are. I love my brother. My, my eldest brother is a, um, he works for the Major League Baseball. He is a very accomplished man. But if I see that guy, I'm making fun of him for being an idiot with no life. I'm making, right. I'm calling him a loser because that's what we do as siblings. I'm not so, saying my brothers have less hair than I do, but I right. have pointed that out on occasion. Can uh-huh. they now send a cease to. and desist letter against to me to stop smack talking about the, the hair follicle differences? Right. We're on this podcast and we're talking smack about our family. I guess they could send me a cease and desist letter. My, my brother could be considered because he works for a major league sports organization as a public figure. So we can have that discussion. I think it, it goes back more to the fact that Jamie, the the sister of Brittany, who I think put out an album a few years back and tried to tried to be famous but didn't. I think she did she she did a TV show I want to say where she talked about getting pregnant at a young age if I remember correctly. All of this is speculation. I I can't verify it unless I did some Google searching. But I think this is her trying to get some of that limelight from Britney, trying to trying to right. And it may be a jealousy thing, right? Like my sister's so famous and my sister's so that your sister's famous because she was entrapped in a conservatorship for 13 years and was forced well, to put out music like and she was a bit famous before that, too, as well. But yeah, I, I get your point. Um, and, and so Britney clearly was the first talent from that family. Jamie yes. Lynn Spears came second. Did she ride on her sister's coattails? Yes. Probably. I mean, yeah. you know, um, they, they say, hey, you go to your, any church. Most churches have a female singer at that church who yes. is could cut their own album. I mean, that's the kind of talent you have at these churches. They oh, yeah. don't because they're not connected or they don't look like Britney Spears. I'm just telling you what I've heard. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's that thought out there that Britney, that maybe Jamie Lynn Spears is riding on her coattails. But still, why do lawyers, why do people send a cease and desist letters when there is no real basis in the law for sending that letter? What's the point? Well, the point is to get paid, right? We're lawyers. Okay, we we want right, to make right. that money. Like, we have an ethical obligation not to file frivolous lawsuits. We do not have an ethical restriction not to send stupid letters that have absolutely no bearing in court whatsoever. I can't tell you the number of times friends or family have asked me to write a letter to their HOA just because I have Esquire after my name. The letters right. hold absolutely no legal authority, and they're usually something to the effect of, we request that you stop harassing you know, my client, or we will look into legal action against you. And for the layperson, that's enough, right? The layperson right. gets a letter from a lawyer, and they, they start trying to correct their behavior or what's perceived as bad behavior. Where at this point... 
look, you're dealing with Britney Spears and Jamie Lynn. They have probably more money and more access than the normal everyday Karen on the HOA. So they could probably just keep going and say, sue me, see what happens. That's only going to increase my stock value if you sue me. If Britney Spears sues me, my brand goes more recognized worldwide. Exactly. Jamie Lynn Spears' book will sell more copies because of the cease and desist letter than it would have without the cease and desist letter. There is no such thing as bad publicity in these kind of contexts. So you just wonder, is that all part of this game? Let's just create controversy so people follow us? Because we want people following us. We like the drama. You wonder if something like that is going on. But hey, we will stay tuned to the Britney Spears, Jamie Lynn Spears saga and report to you come next Thanksgiving to see how interesting that Thanksgiving dinner is. All right, let's go ahead and let's move to the opposite end of the spectrum. Why we do this every week, I don't know, but we tend to go to the opposite ends of the legal spectrum. Let's now talk a little Supreme Court. The Supreme Court was in session last week. By the way, Chris, they already are on their winter break. Did you know that they're already on their winter break resets? Like you guys just got back to work from your Christmas break and you're on another break again. Hey, that's a good gig if you can get it. But there's a lot going on at the Supreme Court. I don't know where you want to start. Why don't we just jump right in with the the tough between Justice Neil Gorsuch and Sonia Sotomayor. Have you heard about this little spat between the two? They always have a little spat. They're, they're, They're frenemies, as the kids like to call it. It's interesting because the court held session again and Mm -hmm. everyone on and basically once the Omicron variant then went big time, everyone is wearing a mask at the court now, except for two people. One would be Neil Gorsuch. He's not wearing a mask. All the others are. He's not. Well, sitting right next to him is a vacant seat. So apparently you can say the vacant seat is not wearing a mask. That belongs to Sonia Sotomayor. (laughs) And because, allegedly because Gorsuch will not wear a mask, she is appearing via Zoom or whatever computer program they have there. Uh, She is in her office appearing remotely. Any thought? Is there a little bit, bit of discord between the two? Do you think the media is overblowing this? I think the media is overblowing this, right? I... The Supreme Court is probably by far the most protected, not physically with cops, but they have access to health care and doctors and the best medical people outside of the White House. I would say second to the president, Supreme Court justices have the greatest access to preventative health care, to real health care, to all of that stuff. I think that Sotomayor just felt more comfortable being in her office than sitting next to Neil Gorsuch. Maybe she was feeling under the weather. Maybe he had attended, I don't know, a, a, a rally or maybe he attended a large talk and she just didn't feel comfortable. That's perfectly fine. That is people making decisions about their own health that really have nothing to do with the masses. If Sotomayor wants to sit in her office and do her job, she can. She could do it just the same from her office or from the chair. It doesn't matter. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, spoken of by a person who recently fought COVID and won. Right. Again, we're just speculating there. Again, everyone makes their own right. personal medical decisions. Whenever you get a little bit of tiff going on at the Supreme Court, oh, us Supreme Court watchers, we love to comment on. I mean, this it. is not this is not quite to the level of Flushgate that we not heard la- last term, but you know, Maskgate it might Mask-gate. dominate the news for a little bit. All right, <laughs> it's a slow moving news on cycle. now to. 
<laughs> moving on to actual cases now this next case fascinates me because this is in my wheelhouse i used for to sure, litigate sure. these type of cases uh on to this one boston the city of boston had this boston. practice where they would allow various groups to fly their flag on their flagpole now i'm mm -hmm. assuming right now chris you were in scottsdale arizona mm -hmm. do you have any idea if your town hall even has a flagpole it does okay you know that all right do you know I what do. flags are on that flagpole currently there is the american flag and there is the arizona flag wow all right you pay attention to that i've, I've I asked do. the right person or the I wrong do. person depending upon my objective yep. but nonetheless in boston they had these flagpoles and one of them maybe was a vacant they had no idea they had the the state flag the united states flag what are they gonna do with mm -hmm. this third flagpole well Various organizations have said, why don't we put up our flag on that flagpole for a day? All right. Over mm -hmm. the last 12 years, they've had 285 requests to put up that flag. Right. Of those 285 requests, how many do you think were denied? One. Two, one. zero. You had, to, you had to do your math there. One. Before this Christian group requested right. to put their flag on this flagpole, there were zero denials. 100% right. of the requests were granted. Then this Christian organization says, we want to have our flag put up on that flagpole. And this Christian organization did have a Latin cross, which I don't know what a Latin cross is as compared to a non-Latin cross. Right. Uh, I, I am a Christian, but, but I still don't know the difference. I'm sure there is a difference there, but it was a cross on this, this flag. And so the city said, no, we can't put that flag up it would cause us to violate the Establishment Clause. All right, now right there, Chris, I got a lot of questions oh, going on. of course on. you do. Of course you do. This is Joel. This is Joel yeah. here. Number one, I'm calling BS on this lawyer's reason because if you even opened up any uh, textbook or any law book or, or read any cases, you would know the city can put up that flag. You've done 284 mm -hmm. other other requests. Clearly, the Establishment Clause is not going to be offended or violated if you right. allow a Christian organization to access that form. Nonetheless, Correct. the courts did tell them that, look, uh, the lower courts told them, that the Establishment Clause does not prohibit this. You can have that flag up there. Is the flag up there now? No, nope. it's still not up there now because apparently that wasn't the real reason. There maybe was another reason. I don't know. This issue goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, whether well, or not it's a, it's a free speech claim. And so this yeah. organization brought a free speech claim against the city saying, you denying us the right to put up our flag to access this forum. And yes, a flagpole is a forum. A forum is just a legal term for some avenue where speech can occur. We right. think of That's it a, as the, the streets and public sidewalks. It also could be an internet board. It could be a room, a community room. It could be a flagpole. Well, in this forum, you have opened it up for speech. You have allowed for 284 other organizations to use it. You won't let us use it just because we are religious. Chris, what right. are your thoughts? Well, one, I appreciate how you explained forum really well, because that's even something first-year law students don't understand what forum is. They think that forum is only restricted to a place where the government allows you to speak, but a forum can be anywhere. Um, secondly, right. um, there had there's a process, right? If you're, if you're As I was reading through the, the case that you sent over last night and as I was doing some of my research, there's a process for applying for 
um, putting your flag up. And they've, they've, the city of Boston has flown pride flags. They've flown Black Lives Matter flags. They've flown the Proud Boys flag at one point, they said, um, in the case. The city has the discretion, but they have to have a good reason, right? You bring up the KKK argument, which everybody always, always, always. Well, what if we put a swastika on a flag and ran it up the flagpole? Right. What then? We, we, we get this. Like, that is the dumbest argument ever because as a society, we've already determined that groups like the KKK and the swastika being used in the, 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 the way that the Nazis had used it, it may be a different thing if you put the picture of the religious symbols from, you know, 5th century India, which carried the swastika, but that's a whole different discussion before the Nazis right. corrupted it. But putting the swastika on the flag or putting... Um, you know, any dr- dropping the end bomb on on a flag and raising it. Those are those are already areas of speech that have been well litigated and well discussed and well regulated already under previous Supreme Courts. So saying that, well, if we put up the Latin cross, which, by the way, the Latin cross is just the standard T cross that the Christian denomination holds, where it's the elongated uh, Y axis and the short X axis. Okay. So the cross that Jesus was crucified on is considered the Latin cross. Um, I see. Um, and so it's... So to me, I also would call that a cross. But I, I see your cross. point there. A lot of things could be a cross, a symbol. Right. Maybe it's horizontal, whatever. So the Latin right. cross just means, hey, the, the crucifixion, that scene, that's the cross. I got you. That's the cross. Um, and so, and I think that's that's kind of important to, to note because it wasn't just like, like the plus sign is a cross, right? But okay. it's not, right. it right. doesn't represent the same as the Latin cross, which is the Christian symbol. But we digress. This is, this is small peanuts, right? Fact of the matter is. Hey, I'm learning. The point here, Chris, is to learn and edify. You have now edified me. I have learned something in this podcast. The Latin go. and non-Latin Gentile class, I guess, is all one. I don't know. I'm right. going to stop there. Go ahead and move on with your analysis. But just flying the Christian cross doesn't mean anything. And, and full pause, Boston is like an 80% Catholic town. Right. So, and I, and I get the argument, right? We can't have the majority religion railroading the minority of religion, but just by flying a cross on a flagpole doesn't say that Boston only endorses Christianity. One day out of 12 years, one application out of 285 does not mean you're endorsing that religion. So Chris, there's two different ways to go about viewing this case. The one way is, is this government speech? The government is trying to say, look, this is our speech. We're allowed to speak. And when the government engages it in its own speech, it is allowed to engage in viewpoint type of restrictions, right? The government right. can support viewpoints, oppose viewpoints. That's right. one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is, is this a forum for private speech? And when you create a forum for private speech, the government can still put parameters and define mm-hmm. the contours of that forum. Let's deal with let's deal with the first argument here. Is this government speech? Here's what the, here's what a court would look to. Is there any kind of editorial control by the government over the speech that ends up happening? 284 examples of no, no editorial no. control by the government here. The government did not create the overarching message. The government didn't say, hey, I no. want a pro, let's go eat beef you know, message that I want you right. to produce. And so give us some different examples of how we might promote that speech. Nothing like that. This isn't government speech. Um, 
Uh, they didn't create the overarching message. There is no editorial control. So let's now go to the second argument. Is this a form for private speech? And what are the parameters? Here they put no parameters on there. And maybe that is a mistake. Maybe now going forward, they will put some reasonable parameters. Like, for example, maybe. no hate words on there. And we right. all can understand what that means. If they say, hey, someone applies for a swastika, someone applies for a, a, an N-word on a sign, a flag, or, we're going right. to deny that because we're going to consider that a hate speech or, or something like that. Um, um, but we, right. we don't have that here. All we have is a Christian group applied and they were denied. How do you think the court's going to rule in this case? I think they're going to let the flag go up. I, I do. Okay. I, I don't think there's an establishment issue. I, you know, I, I remember clearly in when the Oberfell case was decided, right? When gay marriage became the law of the land. And you saw like a lot of cities, Boston being one of them, that flew the pride flag as well. Um, and you also saw a lot of places, um, I want to say it was either San Antonio or Austin, and I can't remember which, but there was a lot of places that had the pride flag with the Latin cross in black to, to be like Christians in support of gay marriage. And I remember seeing a lot of these because that was discussion, right? Is it was discussion was, can you be a Christian and still support gay marriage? Which is not something I'm taking up on this podcast. We are not discussing that right now. But cities have allowed Christian symbols to be flown before on on government flagpoles. So right. it would be it would be a different issue. I'm not right. saying how the case would come out. It would be a different issue if the cross had been on the flag right. for you know 12 straight years. That's right. not what we have here. We're, we have one day out of 12 years right. a much different issue. All right, I'm, let me just uh, uh, give one more interesting thought or tidbit from this yeah. case. Uh, and that is the assistant to the U.S. Solicitor General. So the Solicitor General, you know, is from the executive branch. That would be mm -hmm. Biden's administration. They have, yep. they're allowed to speak on issues before the U.S. Supreme Court. Right. They joined in on this case. So we have the Biden administration joining in on this dispute. Chris, this seems like it could be a controversial case. Free speech, you know, establishment clause, conservatives, liberals. Right. Do you know what side the Biden administration came down on? I believe it was the side to fly the flag. Yes. Did that surprise you? No, because it's, well, one, Biden's a huge Catholic, so we'll put that out there. But two, <laughs> it, there, there's, there's real problems out there in the world right now, right? Real, actual problems. Flying a Christian flag for one day is somebody's pet niche project that they want to say they argued in front of the Supreme Court. This is some pissing contest between some city official at Boston and some conservative Christian group that they don't like. This has nothing, like, this isn't this, like, end-all, be-all free speech case because we fly... 287 flags nobody this isn't anybody's hill to die on except for these except for this one official in boston and this group that wants to sue them if let's let's say they win right and they have to fly the flag for one day please explain to me how that fundamentally changes our rights of free speech right it doesn't right yeah but but restricting no, no, it, it, it does restricting it totally changes our right to free speech this could have been resolved very quickly and easily. Now, let me just tell you what's going to happen. In my opinion, next June, the Supreme Court will issue a victory for the flag 
bearing entity. Uh, and so right. Neil, uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch, uh, he said this regarding the Establishment Clause question. He said uh, that the, if the city official had erroneously right. denied this request to fly the flag because he thought right. the Establishment Clause required him to do so, and that was the basis on which the city's application decision was made, what's left to decide? He said, why right. doesn't this resolve this case? In other words, the Establishment Clause does not prohibit it. That was the reason it. we know that's th- thrown away case decided and so here's what's going to happen chris the plaintiffs are going to move for attorney's fees this is a section 1983 case as the prevailing party they will get attorney's fees paid under section 1988 i predict this will be well over a million dollars in attorney's fees going to the plaintiff's counsel in this case so why wasn't the lawyer for the city more attuned at the very beginning why didn't that lawyer just say no, this is one flag out of 285 applications. Let's oh. just run this flag and, and save ourselves a million bucks. Why would that have not have been the better response? Hey, Chris, we got to now move oh. on because we've got a lot oh to cover. And I know this next case has you chomping at the bit. Oh, FEC, Federal Election Commission, versus Ted Cruz for Senate. So this is the Ted Cruz for Senate political action committee i am assuming but just so you know ted cruz is no legal lightweight he graduated (laughs) from a top law school i'm gonna guess harvard i'm not sure on that but he then in he then clerked for chief justice william rehnquist you know and i know chris if you are clerking for a supreme court justice you're pretty smart you're not a legal lightweight in addition He has argued, I think I saw nine or 10 cases before the U.S. Supreme Court himself. And so he is a very sharp litigator when it comes to these issues. He filed a lawsuit, and we we talked about this case, but he filed this lawsuit saying that there's a campaign finance law that limits how and when candidates can repay loans that they made to their own campaigns uh, under Section 304 of the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act. It allows Candace to use up to $250,000, so a quarter million dollars in post-election campaign contributions to repay personal loans that candidate made to the campaign. So this issue, is that limitation, a $250,000 limitation, is that a violation of your free speech rights? Chris, what are your thoughts? Not even a little bit. Not even a slightest bit. All there's, right, there's we're gonna have disagreement things. here. Go on. Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of. I mean, this is one of those those hot button issues for me, um, because I don't think I I completely disagree with the idea that money equals speech. Because now, why do you say that? Because money isn't universal. Money is 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 some people. A lot of people have. Well, not a lot of people. Certain people have money. Other people's don't. That doesn't mean that they have a greater right to free speech. Because they have more money, because they can buy airtime, especially in the, for government purposes, for the purpose of running for elected office. If you own Nike, sell your wares. That's capitalism. Right. When, when you're running for government office on taxpayer-funded salaries, you and, – and I've, I've – for years, I've said when Biden and Trump ran for election, they spent over $2 billion – in running for election for the presidency of the United States. Right. I, I am, now, Chris, I mean, I'm going to pause right there. Yeah. 
I want to pause right there because I want to ask you. I want to take you to task on this issue Do it. of is money speech. And you just mentioned they spent $2 billion running for office. Now, I know a lot right. of that is going to be gas money. It's going to go for hotel stays. All right. The vast majority of that $2 billion, what did that $2 billion go for? You oh. know, and I know what it went for. What was it? Media buys. Right. Media what was buys. the media saying? What, what was, why would they buy media commercials because they want to influence voters how through their their political you know you know you want to say through their messaging they are buying time on billboards time on commercials to communicate their message so chris how is money not equal to speech in the political campaign context money is equal to reach not to speech all right, but you mean the, the number of people that you can speak to and influence? Right. right, right, And you could... Is that not the name of the game? So more speech? It is the name of the game for more speech, but it doesn't equate to speech. If you have candidate, if, you, if, if the idea of running for government is to put the best lawmakers into office, to have the most right. moral lawmakers or the most, um, the most correct or the most... Um, amicable or the ones that are the most level-headed you're not going to get that if you are putting a price tag on their ability to reach people if you are saying that the best fundraisers which are not the best people everyone who raises money will tell you that they compromise on everything so that way they can get a check there's they talk about the quid pro quo part of this in the case that, that that keegan brings up but allowing unlimited money to fund to a candidate directly creates an issue where that's not free speech. You are now buying the narrative. If, if I Okay, let's talk about that. Right. You mentioned quid pro quo, and that is, right. that is a, a critical term here when you're trying to understand campaign finance restrictions and laws. The, right. There are only really two interests the government can have now. I know there in the past there have been a lot of various interests at play. The Supreme Court has struck down most of them. But right now there are two main interests that the Supreme Court says are legitimate to restrict campaign finance activity one would be an informational interest Mm -hmm. who is doing the speaking the 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 courts have said that's a valid interest so the government could require disclosures that was from the um uh the citizens united case people often think of citizens united as only dealing with corporate contributions and expenditures it also dealt with a disclosure interest an informational interest and the supreme court said that's a valid interest all right the second main, and I'll say the only other main interest that it, the government can use to restrict campaign finance activity would be quid pro quo arrangements. So the appearance of corruption, actual corruption or the appearance of corruption. Mm-hmm. And so the thought is quid pro quo. I'm going to give you money in return to, for your campaign, and I want something back when you are elected. Now, Chris, right. this is the reason why quid pro quo is such a serious issue. And I've actually experienced this personally, and maybe you've experienced this as well, but you'll have a certain corporations out there that give money to both candidates. Well, hold on a second. If you're saying that money is expression, because I I support this candidate's ideals and, and messaging and policies, if that's why you're giving this person money, then why are you giving the same amount of money to the other side? Because you want a friend. I, I, I you want a friend up for either you way there. you look at it. 
I teed it up for you. Why would they? Why would they do that? Because they they literally they want a friend on either way. They, to them, business is going to roll forward. Whether let's and let's let's pick the company. Let's say it's AT and T Communications, right? Um, right. They, they want a they want an ally on the hill. Whether that's that's an R or a D or an I right. or a green, they want someone they could call up and say, "Hey, you know, we donated to your reelection campaign, Ted Cruz. We want five minutes of your time to tell you about this important." issue that's important to us which look you have an absolute right to call up your senator and say i need to talk to you about an important issue i'm a constituent i'm a voter the problem when it comes to these massive amounts of money is that i chris marone who donated my 500 dollars, which i'm only allowed to donate that's the max i'm allowed to give as an individual to kirsten cinema's senate campaign I don't get to then get the same FaceTime that AT&T did, which can give up to 250K or create these individual packs and be able to say, hey, I'm the CEO of AT&T. My company, not me personally, my company gave you a million dollars for your reelection. Take my call. That, that then shuts off the ability of everyday individuals who the democracy was designed about. One person, one vote, power to the people, for the people, by the people, of the people. All of that's gone now because I don't individually have the spending power that AT&T does or right. Nike or anything like that. So that chills the individual's freedom of speech to it be really able does to, we- to do that. Right, it really does pale a comparison. You got an individual who who can only give a certain amount of money, as compared right. to these corporations or these huge independent packs. That right. are they really independent? I guess legally no. they know how to connect the dots and you know all those kind of things. But we all know what Canada these uh, independent uh, cam- cam- packs are, are supporting. That right. being said. So the, the point why you would give money to both candidates is you're trying to buy influence for whoever is elected. Right. Now, so that's a that's a quid pro quo concern. I get that. Right. How does that apply in this case? So you have a candidate who is giving money to himself. Was he trying to cure favors with himself? I kind of think the candidate already has an end with himself. Doesn't really need to cure any favors. So the candidate loans money to himself. Why he should? Why should he not be allowed to repay that loan afterwards? Whether it's two hundred fifty thousand, two dollars, or ten million. How does quid pro quo impact that analysis? Because. There's no reporting function of where they got the money, right? If I loan the campaign, Chris Marone loans the Chris Marone for president campaign $5 million, right? That's the report. Chris Marone lent the campaign $5 million. There's no reporting of where Chris Marone got that $5 million. Well, there, there would be a reporting, but what you're saying is that reporting would come after the election. Long and after so the election. You- Right. So whenever that, that contribution was given to repay that loan, it would not be uh, there would be nothing to report before right. the election, which really is the critical time. It would be done afterwards when the candidate is already in, in office. So well, and uh, there's, th- a, there w- there's a couple things. The only thing that you I, and the only thing that you can get hit on during a campaign, you can flat out lie in all of your political ads. You can flat out. You could say you have the Congressional Medal of Honor. Ted Cruz today could go on TV and go. I have the Congressional Medal of Honor. Vote for me. And there's no recourse. There's none. There's no legal recourse for that. 
There is legal recourse about lying where you got your money, lying how you got your money, lying how you used your money during your campaign. So this is the only area of political law that's heavily regulated by the government because, one, we should know where the money's being spent. You don't want a bunch of, like, dark, you know, idiotic lies or, you know, we, we spent $50 million on tapping the Watergate Hotel. Not saying that's ever happened before, but... right. That is the only – this is the only area of politics that's heavily regulated because money can turn the tide and change how you vote for president. If – I mean you could see it in um, – look at how we elect presidents, right? Look at the primary process. If you don't have X amount of name recognition, you don't even get to be in the debates, Right. If you don't have a 3% name recognition, you don't get to be in the debates. Well, to get 3% re- name recognition, you have to spend around $5 million in ad buys. Well, how do you right. get $5 million for ad buys to get your message out there? It chills. So by Ted Cruz being able to lend his campaign as much money as humanly possible, you're sidestepping this idea of we need to know where the money comes from. I we don't tr- Politicians are allowed to lie. They are given the green light to lie in campaigns. So why would we trust them that they got a loan to the campaign for $50 million or so now that you are in, So now that you are in your fourth decade, you have this wisdom, and you are now telling yeah. me politicians lie. <laughs> you see the kind of wisdom that comes? Look at that. Yeah. So, hey, that's why Let the sun shine in, baby. Well, a lot of interesting issues going through this case. Again, we expect a decision sometime in June. This case will be decided on this issue. This is my prediction. Is there quid pro quo corruption that's possible mm-hmm. in this situation? Now, I won't say just possible. Is there a real valid concern of quid pro right. quo? Because I can see, and Kagan even pointed this out, where if you have been elected and you have a $250,000 loan or a half a million dollar loan that you made to yourself, that now all political contributions to your campaign go right to your back pocket right. that you can spend however you want. You could buy a nice lavish oh trip to the Bahamas. You can go on a well, cruise with Joel and the, and, and the comedian of law, things like that. And so because of that, is that a valid quid pro quo concern? And so stay tuned. Ooh, there's and so the much- court will... One more point. Yeah. One more quick point. Okay. This doesn't differentiate between actual cash donations or cash loans and in-kind donations, which is a point to be brought up. If I use my house as a campaign headquarters for Ted Cruz for Senate, I can charge the campaign as an in-kind donation or loan my mortgage and say, this right. is where we house the campaign. So I technically don't have to give any cash to the campaign. I can build the campaign for the use of my house as headquarters for the campaign. That that in itself, that and that's a basic one. You could do that on anything. You could you could use now, and so my wife is a graphic I designer will. and she designed my Ted Cruz logo, which is Ted and Cruz in red and blue. We need to pay her fifty thousand dollars. That's a loan to the campaign. I will point out that a lot of these in-kind contributions have to be under normal market valuations, right. but still, I it doesn't take much imagination to assume. Okay, let's see. Let's say you own a, uh, uh, you know, Lamargo or whatever the name of Trump's estate is. Yeah. You know, Mar-a-Lago. and he lets that being used. What's the rental fair market value of that? 
it right. could be millions of dollars. So it could be a, a little bit of a loophole there for, for some right. corruption. Well, again, the Supreme Court will rule on that here come June. All right, it is now time for courtroom quarterback. Let's do it. Things we agree on. Let's do football. <laughs> Now, come on. I wouldn't say we agree on football. <laughs> Are you now a Kansas City Chiefs fan? I it, I do like Andy Reid. I've always liked right. Andy Reid. I mean, I, I do enjoy the, the Chiefs. A, are not in my division, B, in my league, so they can have the AFC all they want. Let, let them play. Let the Chiefs run with it. I have no I have no quarrel with you, sir. Have you been knocked on the head recently? No. Well, maybe. You, your I did favorite team. Your ideal team, it must be a COVID after effect, is the 49ers, the beloved 49ers, yep. the home America's of team. Joe Montana and Jerry Rice, right? Right. And Joe Montana went to the Chiefs. The Chiefs used to be a retirement home for Niners players. Okay, you're right. Good point on that. You gave us, let's see, who did you give us? You gave us Joe Montana. Then you yep. gave us Elvis Gerbach. Do you yep. remember Elvis Gerbach? I know the name. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, that, that's he, so he was a quarterback ago. for you all that we yeah. then got, and then a guy named Bono. I, I don't remember his first name. He was a quarterback yeah. there for San Fran. We got him as well. So it was right. a retirement home. My point here is that we beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl a few years you did. back. You did, but you still have you still have positive things to say. Right. I. I all right. I don't got hate in my heart. Not not for this. All right, no, that's good. So let's go with uh, the first topic I want to talk about is what do we do with the current oh. awful state of officiating? Have you ever watched a game? I got to tell you, Chris, I've gotten to the point now I can't watch some basketball games because it's so controlled by the official's oh whistle yeah. at the end of the game, which is so subjective. And so. Are you with me? Have you been there where watching games that are decided by refs, blown calls, mm -hmm. it's just maddening? Right. Well, you know, I was a in the early 2000s, I was a Sacramento Kings basketball fan. And if you remember correctly, in the late 90s and early 2000s, the Kings were actually solid basketball team. Chris Webber, Mike Bibby, Vlade Divac, um, and they were getting hosed every like for four years in a row. They were playing the Lakers the first round, and it was very clear every time the Lakers were just getting all the calls, all the right. calls, right? And you can see it now. Like if you touch LeBron James, you get a call. If you touch yes. Steph Curry, you get a call. But they can travel. They could they could have two dribbles and go the length of the basketball court, and nothing's going to be called. I don't get that. Now, fans, if you don't know what he's talking about, there actually is a video. Go ahead and Google it. Right. Westbrook, Russell Westbrook traveling. Watch that oh video. It is amazing. He actually picks up the basketball from out of bounds underneath the opposing team's basket right. and just walks with it for half of a court. Yes, right. he actually walks the basketball under his arm like it's a football. He's carrying it like a running back. He yeah. walks to the half court, and here's the amazing thing. The whistle was not blown for travel. Not once. Not once. <laughs> it's like, well, up until the end when they finally called it, what took you a half a court to realize, you know what? Hold on. That might that that <laughs> might be a violation of our rules. I, I, I should think probably bounce somewhere, the ball at some point. 
putting the ball under your arm like it's a baby and carrying it for the, the duration of the entire court, that might be a violation. That was hilarious. Yeah. Right. What is that's maddening. The right. officials and, just get it wrong so many times. Right. And I get it, right? They are under extreme scrutiny by us fans every single week, and they're never going to get a 100% record. I get that. Nobody is perfect on this planet. But for an institution to be wrong so often and so frequently with no repercussion, it makes me wonder, like, do I even need to come to work and do my job? Because obviously we're not in a state <laughs> where doing your job – I mean, before that was the joke for weathermen, right? They'd look out the window and go, hey, it's going to rain today. Hey, sorry, guys, it didn't rain today, but, you know, that's clouds. Science is unpredictable. Right. Now it's like I could be an NFL referee working, quote-unquote, part-time for 200 k a year and, you know, blow calls left, right, and center. Let's talk about that. Did you know – that the NFL referees, the ones who control this billion-dollar enterprise, the most famous popular sport in the globe, on the globe, the officials yeah. are not full-time employees. Not Did you know that? Bit. They're part-time. Right. Well, they only work 16, 16, 18 weeks a year. I don't care. So, so does the quarterback. You want this done right. <laughs> You should not have a main job during the week, and this is your side hustle on right. the weekends. That should not be how this rolls out. I cannot believe they're not full-time employees. That being right. said, Chris, we they, they had the technology to get every call right. I mean, because everything oh is televised, every right. last angle on the field could be covered. But here's the question I want us to analyze. Do we want that? Do you want to watch a game that takes six hours to play because no. every single call is reviewed? Say, well, was that really holding <laughs> or was that a permissible amount of holding on that call? Let's have a team review it and then vote, and then we'll go on to the next play. I and mean, that would just make these games so long. So there's got to be a happy medium in there somewhere between getting the calls right and allowing the games to proceed so the fans continue to want to watch. It, it absolutely kills me. It really look, man. I don't want the last four minutes of a close football game to take another two hours. Right, right. Like I'm not. I'm not feeling that. Like I get that that Nike wants that to happen, and I get that like Doritos and Pepsi want that to happen because then they can ramrod as many commercials down our throats as humanly possible. Because we're not going to change the channel if it's the right. like the if it's the Niners Cowboys game from last week. I was glued to the TV. I'm not going anywhere. Anything can happen. Niners, it's almost tied. They're within a touchdown. This is crazy. There's two minutes left. I sat there for 40 minutes and watched the last two minutes of the game, and it pissed me off because everything well, was that scrutiny. Everything, everything, everything. And so there's got to be a better way of doing this. There's got to be that like trial by fire or something, like trial by battle. I want Dak Prescott and Jimmy Garoppolo to start throwing blows like it's hockey to determine – who, who, like, is doing things? Like, I can't deal well, that with that. Being anymore. said, that being said, I want to go over a couple of plays, a couple of calls or non calls from this last week. And let's just talk about is there something that could have been done to avoid this? Was this an okay violation of the rules? Should we just look the other way and just say that's, that's the price of having live sports? The first right. one I want to throw by you is did you watch the Chiefs game? Yes, of course. Okay, great game. We're going to get to the fact that you called it perfectly. The Chiefs are playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. Big the Ben's Chiefs were on party. a roll. 
Exactly. It turns out that was actually accurate. The Chiefs were on a roll. They got their offense finally clicking, so much so that in one goal line opportunity, um, what happened was Mahomes goes back to pass. The mm-hmm. offensive lineman, Allegretti, that is wide open in the end zone. And so P- Mahomes throws a touchdown pass to our offensive lineman who looks like he's basically my size. I mean, a huge guy, not a wide receiver. Everyone is, is jumping and hollering, having a great time. That, that was a great moment. Was it not right. in that it game? It was awesome. I love it. Did it you was- see what happened right before that? How he got open. Did he just shimmy shake and push off? No, I would I would not call that a push off. No. Okay. He basically took TJ Watt with his hands, twisted him, threw him on the ground like he was a wet, cold blanket. <laughs> that you couldn't imagine a receiver doing that to the defensive back, taking him by the hands and throwing him on the ground in some violent maneuver. Watch it, Google it. It's not even a close call. I mean, this is a takedown that should be on any wrestling program. Uh, right. Takedown to the nth degree. Clearly, that's holding, that's pass interference, that's whatever penalty you want to call it. It was not legal. Was there a whistle on the play? No. It was a touchdown and everyone had a great time. Is that right. one of the situations where it's okay? I mean, a replay clearly would have shown that's holding. That's pass interference. You cannot do that. You cannot take down the defender like that. Uh, but it was a good moment. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, he... <sighs> Again, it's the subjectiveness of the referees, right? Did they feel that at that point um, that should have been a hold? Do they feel like they should have blown the whistle on that? Were they just all in shock that a big man finally made a touchdown? <laughs> that's it. Right? That's, that's the next it. They thing, were right? in shock. Right. Right. Because then you get the big man. Like One of my favorite moments from John Madden, may he rest in peace, is when he was doing the movie The Replacements. And he talked about when you get a fat man touchdown, you get a fat man dance and a fat man. So this is what you got. This was the moment, right? He did his touchdown. dance. This is this kid, this defensive. Well, you know, the lineman, um, what is it? uh, Allegretti. Yes. He's probably not going to the hall of fame, not to be rude about it. Not as a receiver, not as a receiver. So this (laughs) was like his moment, right? This is like, you gave the guy, the, the, the chiefs were up by 20 points. If I remember correctly, like, not that that should come into consideration when you're calling a play, but I think the refs, like everyone else, just kind of got caught up in what the moment was. And, right. And honestly, didn't see – I mean, the egregiousness is if they would have called the hold, right, they wouldn't have got the touchdown. They would not have. Not They would have had to wait one more play and get a touchdown because right. it's the Chiefs. They would have scored anyways. Right. They would have yeah, yeah, pushed in. My point is a, a – um, a replay would have shown that to be a hole because clearly the officials right. missed it. They probably were not looking at that offensive lineman as right. being someone they had to watch too closely for a pass. It probably yeah. did not catch their attention. They would have called holding if they had seen it or pass interference if they thought he was the receiver. Uh, right. A replay would have shown that. But do we need replay in that instance? That would have that would have taken away that moment from everyone and said right. maybe that's not a good example. All right, let's go to an example that has everyone on uh, Matt. I'm I'm talking I'm saying everyone because I've listened everyone. to a lot of sports podcasts and and shows this week and they're still talking about this. I am talking about the end of the Cowboys 49ers game. Do you remember right. the play I'm talking about? Joel, I am a 49ers fan. I I know exactly it. the play you're talking about. 
For some reason, there was 14 seconds left on the clock, okay. and the Cowboys are down, I believe, by six. Is that not Just right? Six. They, Just six points. So they, they could have won the game here with a TD. They, they are could've. at the, about the 50-yard line. They could throw a Hail Mary right oh, here yeah. from the 50-yard line. Now, you got to understand, the clock has stopped right now, so they can do whatever play they want to do at this moment. They can do an out pattern, like a six-yard out pattern, get a couple more yards. There's only 14 seconds left. Now, most experts will say, and, and offensive coordinators will say, you need 16 seconds to have right. a play in the middle of right. the field with no timeouts to get off your next play. And so they only had 14 seconds. That being said, if you hustle you might be able to get the next play off. So You're here's gambling. what they did. Gambling. They called a, so no timeouts, only 14 seconds left. They called a quarterback draw. Now that's a gutsy call, a play call right there. You have no timeouts. You're going to run in the middle of the field. There's no way you're scoring a touchdown. Your only hope is to do it so quickly. You get down, you get everyone lined up perfectly. You can then spike the ball and have one more play. But keep in mind, you're playing with fire. You only have 14 right. seconds left to pull this off. Well, that's what they did. They did the quarterback draw play. And so he could have went down early. He didn't. He went as far as he could, right. which is dangerous. You only have 14 seconds. Then he went so far that the 49ers defender then jumps on top of him. If he had gone down earlier and the defender had done that, that would have been a penalty, but he waited until the last moment. And so the, right. the defender jumped on him, totally legal. And so <laughs> he scrambles around. This is all being done in a rush pattern. because you know, the, right. the clock is ticking. Here is where the problem comes in with the officiating. The official is trailing the play, which I don't know why he was trailing the play. It was the rule a couple of years ago that in the last two minutes, that official is behind the defense to allow the two minute drill to happen but the, he wasn't there. Maybe they changed the rule. He is trailing the play. You see the video of him just running as fast as he can. Right. He's an NFL official. He is not as fast he as these NFL Dad athletes. Prescott. He is not Dad no, Prescott no. running 20 yards at a full sprint. So maybe he got a late start. I don't know why he started running so late. Surely he knew he should have been taken off as soon as the play was going forward. As soon as the, the draw play was being called, he should have been moving forward. He wasn't. He got a late start. All right. He then gets to the line of scrimmage where the, the, the team is all lined up, ready to down it. He runs into the quarterback. Again, I'm not going to fault the ref here because this is a bang-bang play, and the quarterback should have handed the ball to the referee. That is under right. the rule. Under rules. the rule is the referee has to actually set the ball, which means he has to touch the ball in that instance. So the quarterback, I've seen the Chiefs do this, whenever you're on a, in a two-minute drill, you hand the ball to the ref to make his job easier. You don't line up and make the ref squeeze through you. So that was a mistake by the, the Cowboys. That being said, here's why I think the most egregious thing happened that makes me Go. question whether or not I should show up to work tomorrow morning. All right. <laughs> the, all right. So the ref then squeezes through the line because he has to touch the ball, right? Right. He not only touches the ball, he then moves it a full yard behind the offense. Watch the video. He doesn't yeah. just touch it, pick it up, and put it down. He is running from 30 yards back. He has no clue where the proper spot of that ball nope. is. Why is he moving it one yard back when he has no idea where the proper placement was? Right. I, I think he, he should be. A, this should be a press conference where they ask him that question. 
Chris, I just laid that out there for you perfectly. I know you're a 49ers fan. What were your thoughts while this was going on? Um, Gosh, man, uh, being stressed out of my mind, seeing Dak Prescott, there's a couple things, right? Dak takes the snap at the 45, right? He runs from the 45 to the 25. He needed to go from the 40 to the 39. So Dak added an extra 14 yards to his run okay. that he didn't really need. The referee was lined up on the other side of the 50-yard line on the 45. So he ran from the opposing 45 to the 25 in four seconds. I'm, I'm watching the video. I timed it. He ran almost 40 yards in four seconds. So good on him. Wow. Good on him. For Seriously? Re- just, yeah. Like I have the That's I have fast. the video up right now. He just he the minute that Dak took the ball and started running, the referee started sprinting as well. So he was doing his best to get to the ball. Now again, he grabbed the ball, picked it up, put it down. I don't know where his head was at at that point. But when he touched the ball, when the ref touched the ball, we're looking at about three seconds left on the clock when he finally breaks through. Wow. Finally breaks through the line. Dak was down with five seconds left, and so you're okay. watching it. Dak is down with five seconds left. The referee is trying to break through the line at four seconds left. He touches the ball with three seconds left, and then Dak hikes the ball, and the game's over at that point. So, I mean, this wow. is this comes down to milliseconds of, of, of playtime, and you're right. Like, in the 10 milliseconds between touching the ball and hiking the ball, the game ended. The, or the two right. seconds, it ended. I mean— I don't know what the ref was thinking, picking it up, setting it down. Maybe he was thinking he was trying to do the rules. Maybe he thought there was more time left on the clock. Dak Prescott, as the quarterback, the leader of that team, should be handing the ball to the referee so that way he wouldn't have lost that that's extra second. Where the real, like, that's where the real well, breakdown and, happened. And part of this, too, is look at the entire game that the Dallas Cowboys played. They had 18 penalties. They had three turnovers. Like, if it comes down to this last second, look at your entire game. That, and I could say the same for the Niners. If the Niners would have lost the game, we lost it because number 73 didn't line up correctly when it was fourth in inches, and we turned over the ball with a minute and a half left. Those crucial mistakes cost games. And this right. – this Dax Prescott, at any point, right, he made it to the 25 – I'm looking, literally looking at the video, people. It's on YouTube. You can find it. Dax Prescott was not only open over the middle, he could have had a straight slant to run outside. There was nobody around. He could have came across the 40 and then immediately cut to the to the sideline and got and got there at the same time he got to the 20. He wanted to go as far as he could. There's a lot of decisions that could have been made at this point, and Dax gambled, and he lost. That's part of it. This is what football is, right? If if so, so, I'm done with him. So here's my here's my take on this. If you want to look at this particular play, and people are doing it this week, through the lens of the officials messed up, I'm right. gonna have to call BS on that. I think if no. you're gonna look at who messed up worse, Dak Prescott and the, right. the coaching staff of the Cowboys as compared to the refs, I think the error is way on the side of Dak Prescott and the Cowboys for their mess ups there. They did right. not they first shouldn't have called the play in the first place. Secondly, they should have went down a lot sooner. They right. should not have tried to max out every last yard. They should have handed the ball to the referee. All of these mistakes right. they made that were within their control. Don't blame the refs in this one particular instance. They that this is the right. problem you cause by running that play with 14 right. seconds left. And that's on you. You know the ref is coming from behind you. So why do you set your entire O-line down? 
Like, he's a— In a tight formation. Right. You're the Dallas Cowboys O-line. I am six foot one, three hundred pounds. I am not getting through that O line. This referee, right. poor guy, running at full speed from twenty yards behind Dak Prescott, he's not going to get through that O line. Like, have this is this is situational awareness. This is game IQ, and this was a mistake by Dak Prescott. It doesn't matter what the ref did. We are in agreement on that. All right. But I know we're running out of time, and we got to get to our picks. I'm not intentionally trying to squeeze out your glory here, but I want to give one more shout-out to Zach Taylor. He is the the coach for the Cincinnati Bengals, and I like like Zach Taylor because – he is a Nebraska Cornhusker quarterback. He there was the go. last quarterback for us during our glory days in the late 2000s. And I so he that. was the coach of the Bengals as a very young coach. And he almost got fired last year before this last year. He had a lot of heat for his handling of the offense. They stuck with him. They finally won a playoff game against the Raiders. A very love interesting it. game. I love that game. One of the best games this past weekend. So what did he do to celebrate? Well, he had pre-decided this when he was hired. He said, when this moment happens, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the game ball, who you usually give to your whoever you want to honor for that particular right. moment, usually your the decision. best player on the field or the court, whatever, who made the most important play. No, he takes the game ball goes to a local tavern, you know, wet, you know a watering hole where people love to hang out, right? He went to that bar and gave the fans the game ball. So apparently it's probably on display there at that bar. What a great move. Uh, do you have yeah. a newfound appreciation for Nebraska? I love that. I The fans make the game, right? Without fans, there's no football. Not that we're out there playing and giving it our all, but it's all of our money. It's all of our time. It's yes. all of our, our emotion right. and effort. Like you need to in your Cincinnati, this is your first football playoff win in thirty plus years. Do some fan service. How far would that uh, go to mend the image of like the Raiders or right. the Niners or anything? If they go in and give fan service and not this like fake NFL charities made me do it, but right. like going in and dropping off the game winning football to the local bar that's been playing Cincinnati football games religiously, good, bad, or beyond, dying with the Bengals. That's what you should be doing. That's a feel-good story. Right, right. All right. Well, that is um, uh, is now time for our picks for this week. I know you've been dying for this moment. Ooh. So I have the stats here right in front of me. Last week, I went 4-2. and two. You did. Not near as impressive as your 7-0. and oh. Why is, does mine only equal 6 well, because I was chicken and did not want to pick the Chiefs game. <laughs> uh, the Chiefs so game. I just had a, I, I couldn't see that game rationally. I hope they would blow them out. I just could not see that one rationally. And so um, uh, my season total is $670. We started with right. $500. i am now up to $670. You started with $500, and now you're up to $630 after a 7-0 week last week. So you are definitely making up some ground on me here. Uh, hey, it's time for our picks this week. Since you had finished 7-0, why don't you start off? And then as we make our picks, let's go game by game. All right. And then we will then talk about that game as we do our picks. Titans, right off the bat. That is the easiest pick right. of the week. That is my double down pick. 
for this week. All right. Titans are going to smoke. Look, I love Joe Burrow. I do. I love Cincinnati. I love that two Cincinnati teams made it this far in the playoffs this year. I'm loving Cincinnati coming up. Hopefully that's going to be some good news for my Reds, but we'll figure it out from there. But there's no way they're beating the Titans. Titans got Henry back. Bengals are 0 for infinity on the road in the playoffs, you know, 30 years ago when they were in the playoffs. Um, right, it's right. Just, it's just there's there's nobody in their right mind that thinks Cincinnati is is going anywhere. But I'm looking forward to a very good game. That's what I'm looking forward to. Is Cincinnati we, is a really great game. Can we repeat that? No one in their right mind would pick Cincinnati. Is that what you just said? I did. I did. And if I have to eat right, those words, right. I get to eat those words. But that's where I'm at right, right now. That's my story, I, and I'm sticking I, to it. I I got to pick Cincinnati then. I don't think I've left Ooh. any choice. I got to. I love so it. So here's my. I, I don't want to, but I'm going to do it. And here's my reason why. One of my main philosophies in picking games during the playoffs, you got to go with the quarterback. The quarterback is who okay. wins you games. Who is the stud quarterback in this equation? Usually it's that stud quarterback that's going to carry the day. And in right. all of these games, but two. You have a stud quarterback. This is one of those games. The Titans do not have a stud at quarterback. They have a stud at running back. He is amazing. He is. So here's a here's a fear that I have. It won't matter that the Bengals have a stud quarterback. It's not even going to be close. I do fear the Titans are going to jump out to a lead, and then they're just going to ride uh, Henry all the way to the finish line. And it will never be a close game. The stud quarterback will never have a chance. I am just going to go with Cincinnati in this game because I do get three and a half points. And I think that um, in this moment, I I think that, again, Joe Montana-esque, Joe Montana light here for the Bengals, Joe Burrow, is going to, he's the real deal. He'll find a way to keep this close and he'll pull it out in the end. I think this is more wishful than actual being intelligent, (laughs) but I'm going to go with Cincinnati in this game. But you know what? Last week I went with the wishful 49ers, and guess what happened? Like the Dallas Cowboys, by all metrics, should have won that game last week. So, yes. so I think the, there's something to be said about, especially in playoff football, for wishing prayers, right? Something definitely to be said. That being said, let's go to our second pick, and this is going to be why I will be 0 2 after my first two picks. The second <laughs> game 49ers versus the Packers. Okay. Right? I, I should not be doing this. I'm going against all conventional wisdom here. I am taking the 49ers over the My Packers. Man. I know I know what I just said about your your stud quarterback. And here the stud quarterback plays for the Packers. I get that. The Packers are yep. coming off of a bye. I get that as well. That mm-hmm. being said, the 49ers have an amazing defense. It's San a strong Francisco. defense. They will be able to they will be able to get to and harass uh, um, Rodgers there. Right. The Packers are 0-3 against the 49ers in the postseason. Yep. I'm just going with my gut here and taking the 49ers plus the 6. I'm there with you. I'm teetering on whether or not the Packers will win by 6. because, Or I'm not teetering. I'm teetering on whether or not the Packers will win, period. I don't think they're right. going to win by 6. I think the plus 6, as much as, I mean, I've been Niners all podcast, right? But the plus six is where you get me. I was I was going to be like, oh, Niners, blah, blah, blah. But it's plus six. The pack is not going to go plus six on the Niners. Aaron Rodgers is not going to run up the score. Hopefully his toe still hurts. Hopefully the O-line keeps stepping on it. Um, but I think the plus six is where it gets it. So I'm picking Niners. Same with you, man. All the all way. Right. 
There you go. I'll let you take the next game. Rams versus Ooh. the Bucks. Oh, that's going to be... If the Rams play like they played against um, Car- um, Arizona this week, if they have the same game, if OBJ has the same game, if Aaron Donald and Cup and Stafford have the same game that they had, and Tom Brady is just a little bit off... The Rams are going to take this. But if Tom Brady is doing Tom Brady playoff things, by the way, side note, Tom Brady is older than all the remaining NFC head coaches. Just putting that out there. Um, That's an amazing stat. He's older than all of the other coaches in the NFC. Wow. The coaches. Um, But because I picked the Rams to go to the Super Bowl, I knew this game was coming. We knew it was out there. We saw the writing on the wall. So I'm sticking with my pick consistency rams are gonna take this one i i think you're right uh but i am this is a tough one for me too it's because a, you you never so go hard. against so brady never when you never go against line, brady a lesser known fact my, is never getting a land war in asia i know <laughs> my gut tells me here Brady's time is up. This is Ooh. it. This is going to be a swan song right here. He's going up against a defense that is amazing. Uh, the Rams defense added a Vaughn Miller after right. they first played. The Rams won the first game, I believe. Yep. I, I do worry that Matthew Stafford is not near as clutch as Tom Brady. I just, not even. I just think. I think Tom Brady's not going to be standing at the end of this game, and so that's my big fear. If you watch the Bucks, they just seem to be a team in disarray. Even last week, their head coach was filmed hitting one of his players on the head during a game, and he was just fined $50,000 for smacking his player on the head. There's a little bit of disarray going on in in, uh, in the Buccaneers. Now, Brady's good enough to overcome that for a bit. I just wonder if this is it, if this is going to be that game. So I'm going to go with you and go with the Rams plus the three, which leads us to... The last game. The Bills are one and a half favorite over the Chiefs. I have no analysis for this game. Here's my analysis. <laughs> the Bills have Pray. the best defense. I, I heard on a couple of different podcasts this week when they were asked, of all the units left in the playoffs, offense, defense, special teams, of all the teams out there, what is the best unit remaining? Do you know what the answer was? The Bills. The Bills defense. They are the best unit remaining of all of the offense and defense and special teams of all of these teams. That's who the Chiefs have to go up against is the number one defense left in the playoffs. And so the Bills destroyed the Chiefs in in week five. I believe the score was 37 to 20. I watched that game. It wasn't even that close. I think I turned... I I had to to play solitary in the second quarter. I mean, it it was a bad game there. Right. That being said... I'm sticking with my Chiefs. I cannot go against my Chiefs here. I'm going to take them uh, minus the the point and a half. I love it. I absolutely love it. I, uh, unfortunately, are going to go with the Bills. They were... All right. Not only were they technically perfect last week, they were cohesive. It wasn't just that they didn't turn it over or didn't have to punt. They worked as a cohesive unit. They were seeing each other. They were being there. The Bills are definitely stepping it up. And even though it's a 1.5, you know, pick them right i think it's and and it hate it hurts me because i do love the chiefs i said so earlier i don't I, I i really enjoy them and mahomes is the is the future and he's the once future king um i just don't know if they can overcome the bills this time with how technically perfect the bills are playing 
Now they say that home field gives you three Slight. points it in the, the spread. And so the Bills being a one and a half point underdog means they actually are a one and a half point favored team. It's just they're <laughs> playing at the Chiefs, uh, the Chiefs field. And so the right. Chiefs get that three point bump. So yeah. It's going to be a great game. All right, I know you have to go there. So, hey, thanks so much for this week, and good luck watching football, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do, Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us, and Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. <laughs> <laughs>